Hello and welcome to this week's edition of Agro-Africa. This is a program that talks about agriculture and its development in Africa. We're coming to you from Channel Africa, the African perspective in Johannesburg, South Africa. You're with me in Sydney, Kaduna Piri, and stay tuned. In the program this week, as Africa prepares to celebrate Africa Day, we look at how water scarcity in the continent becomes one of the environmental challenges that could threaten the agricultural sector. Stay tuned as we hear how a country such as South Africa is geared at eradicating water scarcity. The scarcity of water in some parts of Africa has forced unprecedented water restrictions in those areas. It is these restrictions that have resulted in a country such as South Africa to contemplate on relooking the possibilities of enforcing laws that could see the licensing systems of water coming to effect. At least one can say that alongside some progress in access to water for domestic uses, past power relations in water rights that could benefit agriculture may have been consolidated. We join a webinar conducted recently by the International Water Management Institute. Let us join Inga Jacobs Mata, Executive Director at the International Water Management Institute based in South Africa as she introduces the participants. Very exciting topic for us here. Uh, really the changing and the evolving nature of South Africa's water law um, as we seek to really operationalize uh, transformative justice in South Africa. We've got a really wonderful team of partners and speakers uh, with us today, starting with uh, Dr. Mark Smith, who is the newly appointed DG of the International Water Management Institute. Uh, really welcome. Um, Mark will give us a, a global perspective and, and Kimi's role in, in um, what we refer to as hybrid water law really the, the coexistence of statutory water law as well as customary water law and community-based um, approaches. And then we've got uh, Ms. Jessica Naidu, who is the CEO of the Water Research Commission. It's really uh, uh, thanks to the, the WRC here that we are able to, to work on this. They, they are our, our key funding partner, but also um, a key research partner in this space. Then we've got uh, Dr. Jennifer Mulwantwa. She, um, she is representing the Inkomati Usutu Catchment Management Agency. She's currently the executive for water resource management. And we, we're really excited about our partnership with the IUCMA because uh, they are they, they're really um, leading the, the charge, if you will, in, in operation, operationalizing hybrid water law at the catchment level. So we consider them a key uh, implementation partner. And then, of course, as I said before, the Honorable uh, Mr. David Matlobo, who is our Deputy Minister here in South Africa for Human Settlements, Water and Sanitation, to, to then give us an overview of the evolving uh, nature of, of uh, water policy, water and sanitation policy in line with our, our policy review process underway. Equally so, we've got a really good lineup um, of discussants, 
Uh, and uh, it's really thanks to um, many of them who, who guide who guide the, the project and, and the work that we're doing, not only in South Africa, but also in Africa. Um, Dr. Barbara van Koppen, who is uh, my colleague at IMI, an emeritus scientist on, on poverty, gender, um, and water. Um, we've also got uh, Ms. Barbara Schreiner, who is currently the executive director at the Water Integrity Network. And it's really based on the work of, of the Barbaras um, that have, have, have sort of laid the foundation for the conceptual framework on which this, this body of work on hybrid water law is based. Um, they've done significant work, not only in South Africa, but throughout Africa in, in several of the African countries uh, that we partner with as well. Then we've got Professor Tumai Murumbu, who is part of our reference group for this project, a professor of law at the Wits University here in South Africa. And lastly, Ms. Mary Jean Gabriel, who is the Director for Water Use and Irrigation in the De Department of Agriculture, Rural Development and Land Reform. Um, Mary Jean has been working in, in the agricultural water sector for over 20 years and is also one of our key partners um, in this space because it really relies on a strong partnership between both of these different uh, departments. So with that, I'm now going to hand it over to um, Dr. Mark Smith to set the scene for us at the global level. and. Um, and really introduce uh, Imi's role uh, in this. So thank you. Uh, Mark, over to you. Great, thank you so much, Inga. And um, good morning, good afternoon, good evening. It's just about evening where I am, sitting in Sri Lanka, uh, to everyone. Uh, good morning, uh, Mr. Deputy Minister. Um, good morning and good afternoon, all my friends. It's so fascinating on these, on these uh, Zoom calls when you see the names flashing up of who's participating and you see you have so many good friends who are joining. So hello to everyone. I wanted to uh, just begin by thanking our partners on behalf of IMI for co-convening this session. So the Department of Water and Sanitation of South Africa, the Water Research Commission and the Inkomati Usutu Catchment Management Agency. We're really grateful for your collaboration in this session and, and indeed in this, in this topic more widely. Um, South Africa's water law is held up globally um, as a really bold example of water law reform and innovation, um, water law reform and innovation to address inequality and indeed issues of justice. And for those of us who've been fortunate enough to be going to Stockholm over these last many years, it's a topic of discussion uh, very frequently. In the, in the meeting rooms at Stockholm Water Week because it's such an important example um, to the world of, of, um, of, a, of a reform process uh, in water law intended to spur development. So there's so much to learn from, from the experience that you've had in South Africa. Um, and that this comes at a time, of course, when unfortunately in the world we face growing inequalities um, and especially impacting, of course, inevitably in a way, of course, low-income areas and rural areas, peri-urban areas. Um, so, so it is, therefore, um, we do really, therefore, appreciate the efforts of the co-conveners in bringing the debate that's been taking place about the results of South Africa's water law reform, its future prospects, and the changes that might be needed in the kinds of approaches that are deployed to a global network that's convening this year virtually 
but to that network that, that um, engages in Stockholm Water Week annually. Um, for me, this, this, this topic um, is important for many reasons, but to try and make it a little bit practical, um, I wanted to just highlight the example of, of uh, a very important area of Imi's work that, that we carry out um, around in many different parts of Africa on developing and promoting farmer-led irrigation. The purpose, of course, of that kind of development is to bolster livelihoods um, in rural areas, um, and as I say, particularly in, in Africa. Um, and that's great. There's, there's lots of technical development, business models, um, uh, capacity development extension around the idea, the, the concept, the technologies of farmer-led irrigation. But what if the, the legislative support for such development, for such development of water resources, um, is not there in ways that will reduce inequalities. What if the legislative framework in which you're trying to undertake those kinds of innovation actually works against reducing inequalities? What if instead the legal framework means that there's a risk of widening inequities? So it's a crucial question. This, this question of water law reform is a crucial question for things like water, farmer-led irrigation, um, but also the wider issues of of water resources and development and the, and the kinds of uh, interventions that we seek to develop and deploy to, to reduce poverty. So this session is exploring experiences from South Africa that help to address the, the, the questions that, that, um, that revolve around these issues. Uh, and doing so in, in a way that, uh, through an approach to water law, that has potential to uh, better address the challenges of inequities um, and indeed uh, objectives of justice. Um, and this is the concept of hybrid water law, as Inga had highlighted. Um, and we will, of course, we'll hear much more about that concept as we go through this session. But it starts with the idea of decolonizing water law. So deconstructing, um, I'm no lawyer, but just as the way I've understood it, is deconstructing the structural inequities in water law that are a legacy of the colonial governments that, that were in place historically in much of Africa. And replacing that, replacing those, those legal frameworks with a new suite of legal tools that combine that sort of more formalized regulatory, uh, formalized approach to, to uh, regulatory permits for very high impact water users uh, with other uh, approaches that are more suited to s smaller scale and customary water uses. Um, uh, and those are organized in ways that are use more accessible legal means, that are more accessible to people that need to benefit from water resources development. So customary water tenure, collective licenses, and different kinds of approaches to exemptions and, and prioritizations against different uh, of uses against different kinds of criteria. So we look forward very much then in this session, in this session, to hearing about the concept of hybrid water law and its emergence through the experiences, debates, and lessons that have been taking place in South Africa around South Africa's water law and its experiences with that, and discussing those lessons learned, and then considering how do we merge innovation in water law with innovation that drives things like farmer-led irrigation, um, 
so that we can ultimately all collectively become, of course, therefore more successful in our efforts to spur innovation that helps, that does a better job of delivering, uh, uh, reducing, uh, does a better job of reducing inequities and, and, and achieving um, poverty alleviation. So with that, I'll hand back to you, Inga, and I wish everyone a good session, and um, I look forward to it. Thank you. You are listening to Agro-Africa, coming to you from Channel Africa, the African Perspective. So now I'm going to hand it over to Jessica Naidu from the WRC to give us that national R&D perspective uh, for, for this work. So Jessica, over to you. Thank you. Okay, thank you very much. Uh, firstly, uh, congratulations, Mark, on your new posting. And we look forward to even more partnership. Uh, in the years to come. And I also want to say that it's fairly gratifying to note how many folk on this panel and on this agenda have a fairly strong WRC connection. It warms the heart a little bit. Colleagues, I'm going to share a presentation with you, uh, and it's only a couple of slides, so, so don't, uh, don't be too alarmed, um, to walk through this journey. The first thing that I want to emphasize is that Yes, we are looking at legal regimes for transformative justice, and yes, we are using South Africa as a case study. But as Mark has pointed out, that in the many years in many fora, including that of Stockholm World Water Week, this is a matter of interest in most parts of the world. In fact, there are very few national regimes that are completely comfortable with the way that they're currently doing things. So a quick reminder that we are in a very water-stressed world. And, and, and I think that we all are hyper-aware of this. We're hyper-aware of the fact that the scenarios associated with the climate crisis are pushing it in a more difficult direction. We are quite clear that the COVID pandemic has highlighted the matters for us in a way that was graphic for the people who have been blind to it or for a while have been able to duck away from it. Well, it's inescapable as we sit right now and all of the scenarios that we are looking at are organizing for us to see possibly an even more difficult future. Now alongside all of this, we have this as, as a huge effort and a huge global project to organize for us around sustainable development goal number six that associated water and sanitation and related services to have a decade of action organizing for us between now and 2030 to get much, much closer to their targets, or possibly even have that universal access to safe water and dignified sanitation by 2030. It's important to note that there are five pillars organizing itself around this global acceleration framework. There's finance, there's data and information, there's innovation, there's capacity and capability, and a big pillar around governance, because governance continues to be one of the challenges that we have to engage and we have to engage head on. But colleagues, I am aware that for many people that are in this meeting and many more people outside, this is probably the first northern spring that you're not in Stockholm. So I thought I could take through some of my thoughts as a journey through the Stockholm Water Prize laureates to illustrate the points that I want to make and give you just a wee bit of nostalgia 
Maybe next year you will be in Stockholm, maybe it will be the year after that, but at least you would have gone through this journey. So I begin with this person, and this is someone that is famous to all of you and very well known, and that's Professor Kader Asmal. And Professor Kader Asmal in 2002 was the Stockholm Water Prize laureate and was on the back of South Africa producing this very water law that both Inga and Mark have already referred to, and I think it will come up many times in the discussion. It organized for the world a template. This was its detractor. A template of possibility, because the idea of water law is a complicated concept, primarily because we've been fighting over it from a legal perspective for at least 100,000 years. We've been fighting for over water for as long as human beings have been on this planet. So organizing the concept of a national legal regime in the first place to govern water law was in itself a novelty. But to organize for that, to move this decolonization project, to move from the apartheid internal colonization project to a democratic society project where governance worked on the principle of subsidiarity and complete participation was incredibly novel. But we rapidly learned that the template itself couldn't organize for us to get to where we needed to go. And then I want to then refer to the next laureate in this, in this small journey, and that's John Briscoe. John Briscoe didn't dabble too much in the legal regimes or even in the governance regime, but he worked very hard around organizing for how you implement the objectives and the goals of those regimes in very practical ways around a series of case studies around the world, including my own country, very global, but with a nationalistic context around how you organize for toolboxes to make this actually work. And then we went a little bit further, a little bit later on, and the third laureate that I want to cite is Rajendra Singh. Rajendra Singh put a whole new dimension into this discussion, and one I think that is very relevant for what we're talking about today. Rajendra Singh himself started his life off as a traditional doctor, was highly invested in customary law and customary traditions, and that's what he brought into the work that he did and eventually earned the title of Waterman of India and, of course, eventually a Stockholm Water Prize laureate. And started to talk about, in a very public context, how you can organize to take the formal legal regimes that were available, coming from the likes of, of, of Kader, and, and people will claim, and quite rightly so, that there are many toolboxes that eventually led to this that were already being worked on in various parts of the world for a very long time. This is absolutely true. That the South African Water Law organized to harmonize that into a single template, uh, and, and this maybe is our biggest contribution, but Rajendra brought into this the aspect of what actually works inside systems and how you can blend that together with the formalization of law to organize for at least a development paradigm around how we get access to water, the management of the resource, and most importantly, how we organize for a beneficiation regime around this so that you maximize not only the access, but the access to the benefits of water and indeed of sanitation as something related. Then the fourth laureate that I want to talk to is last year's laureate, and that's Jackie King. Jackie King, who has been labeled ever since that ceremony last year as the mother of environmental river flows, 
brought in that vital aspect into this discussion, the aspect of environmental justice. And when we're engaging the concept of what an ideal legal regime should be, and its hybridization with various aspects that organize for it to have the maximum possibility of both implementation and sustainability, we have to do it in the context that we are indeed looking at a human rights approach, but we're also looking at environmental justice as a very key part of this. Not only for the usual reasons, but for the more important reason of a sustained sustainability and increased water security inside the system, which is absolutely crucial. So if we bring this all down to a couple of pictures, we're talking about this. We're talking about the center pillar in this particular thesis of being the constitutional regime. In the case of South Africa, and this has been replicated in many parts of the world since, on the African continent and beyond, organizing for a human rights-based approach around how you organize a constitutional regime embedded with the Bill of Rights as it pertains to various basic needs, but water and sanitation being one primacy uh, um, to this community of practice, but strongly informed by not only the human rights-based approach, but the environmental justice approach alongside that. And then in addition to that, to say that there are certain things that make systems work in various parts of the world. And they have been working for millennia. And many of those things are embedded in traditional systems. Some of those are embedded in customary law. We mustn't lose sight of the fact that going into the realm of nostalgia around this is going to be very difficult. In fact, in the video that Inga played at the beginning, uh, which was of Mark Flo, um, who is one of our champions around multi-use systems, she made this point repeatedly in several fora where we had this discussion, that parts of customary law really organize for us to blend into the harmony of how things work in communities on the one hand, while the constitutional regime manages to get all of those things that were in fact inhibitors around the rights-based regimen in many of those communities. So it is a case of putting out what is the good, dealing with what is the less good, and organizing for the regime to work in a way that gets us to this point. That the harmonization of these three components must organize for us to take the transformational imperative further. So colleagues, this is how we're thinking about things from a national perspective. From an R&D perspective, knowledge must drive this regimen. So we are examining and analyzing the possibilities that exist of various regimes and how we can harmonize that into a workable formula, not only for one place as a centralized template, but with the right kind of harmonization and customization for the different places in which it needs to operate, because it strongly depends on the stakeholder base that exists in different parts and what kind of priorities there are around the water uses. But our view is that if we adopt this transformational approach, organizing to have sufficient flexibility and an agility to adapt to conditions as they change, we will probably be on the right path towards securing that pillar that will organize for us to realize the benefits of a global acceleration framework. 
So with those few words, I will stop there. And there's a lot more information, of course, available on our website. Thank you very much indeed. Uh, and, and so now somebody that really works at that coalface, at the catchment level, where, where this is really, you know, where the rubber hits the road, is our, our colleague, Dr. Jennifer Mumwantwa, who is the executive of water resources management at the Inkomati Usutu Catchment Management Agency, one of our key partners, as I said before. Um, the Inkomati Usutu is, is really, in, in many respects, a model catchment. Uh, because they have so many um, of these projects underway. But uh, Jennifer, from your side, please share with us a little bit about, you know, what are the realities on the ground in actually, you know, translating hybrid water law into practice? Thanks, Jen. Um, hello and um, good afternoon, good morning, good evening, everybody. Um, I'm really honored to be part of this, representing the Inguamati Institute Catchment Management Agency. And I would like to also uh, greet the Deputy Minister, the Honorable Deputy Minister. And yes, yes again, um, this sounds like an old WRC uh, management meeting or something like that, because we've all been there. But I think key to that, it's the fact that research plays a very key role in answering questions that we have experienced and we're still trying to find solutions or we still don't know and we want to prepare ourselves so that in future, when the future happens, we are ready for it. Just to give a brief overview of what the IUCMA is about, I would like to just quickly share these four slides uh, before I get into the uh, meat of it. So the Inkomati Usutu um, Catchment Management Agency is located for those that are far elsewhere in the world and who do not know. We are based in South Africa. We are based in the eastern, northeastern part of South Africa. We border the countries of Swaziland and uh, Mozambique. And as such, we are the transboundary water management area. We are also part of the, we form part of what we call the Inkomati Basin, which is the basin that includes both the Republic of Mozambique and the Kingdom of Eswatini, which is operated under the Inco, Interim Inkomaputo Agreement. Uh, for short, we say IMA. And the background uh, that we must take into consideration when we talk about hybrid water and when we talk about really the challenge of making sure that everybody has equitable access to water, must take into consideration the fact that we are a stressed catchment. We definitely have got a higher demand than what we can supply. And we have got long rivers, little storage, particularly in the crocodile, we have to uh, comply with the international obligations, ecological flows, and we are striving for equitable access to the water resources. The total water demand and the current licensing, if you can look at the um, two pie charts on, your, on, on the right, you will see that outside the uh, the available water. We have got agriculture, which is the biggest user of water. We have the ecological reserve, which um, 
And when you look at this, you realize that the picture should actually look the other way around where you have got your reserve and uh, everything else then can uh, follow after that. We've got our frustration, strategic use, where we have got transfers out of our catchments into other catchments. We have got cross-border um, water requirements as well as domestic water requirements. And the presentation slides before were focusing mainly on the surface water. And as a result, we need to step out of our common knowledge of water use relating to rivers and just flowing water. And we have looked at uh, groundwater. In terms of groundwater, we have a surplus of groundwater. Based on historical data, we are currently doing a project to update that data and have a better picture of what is the case. And uh, we also need to enable and change the kind of perception that is regarded with relation to groundwater. Groundwater is a source of water and surface water, spring streams and other are all part of the resource. And when we want to have a, a, a strategy that will be able to ensure that we have got equitable access, we should not be looking at ground and surface water as different uh, water resources, but looking at it as a continuum. We have got a number of stakeholders in our water resource management, including from government, our mother department, the minister and deputy minister, the department. We have got uh, water users um, are represented in the form of catchment management forums, where we try to find key water users as well as ordinary water users, subsistence water users, to put them in the uh, different forums where uh, they can be able to discuss challenges of water resource related. Stakeholders are keeping themselves accountable to one another in terms of what they are doing, pollution, availability over abstraction and all of that. We also have got uh, water user institutions, management institutions. Currently we have got 21 irrigation boards and we have got only two water user associations. And I think we must, uh, I'll focus my uh, talk on more of the water management institutions we also have got government institutions, the different departments, uh, COCTA, which also also encompasses the House of Traditional Leadership. And House of Traditional Leadership plays an important role in terms of when we're looking at hybrid water law. We also have got your Department of Rural Development, Land, Agriculture, Environmental Affairs and others. But we also have got other key stakeholders and as well as our international counterparts. Now, uh, my discussion around this is on the background that we've got more demand compared to what we can supply. And this is a historical of historical making. What then becomes the role of the IUCMA in terms of ensuring that there is equitable access? The National Water Act is very clear and it directs us towards equitable uh, water access to all, for all. However, the challenge is that to unravel what has been and to make what should be, as is envisaged by the Act, it's very much uh, difficult. It has been over 10 years now that the IUCMA is in uh, operation, but all of this hasn't yet, we have not yet achieved. And I think, Inga, you were correct when you said, what are the challenges, what is happening on the ground? Therefore, at this current moment, the tolerance of the people and the patience of the people is really at its wits. People want water not only for water for drinking purpose, but water for poverty eradication. Your basic subsistence farmer is looking 
to collect water, to have water in their yard, so that they can be able to um, water their plants and that will be able to provide food on the table. And how then have, has this happened? We have realized that because a bulk of our water is locked within the irrigation board system, which also on its own, all those 21 uh, irrigation boards, they do not cover the entire water management area. They were established to cater for smaller groups of people that own the land and therefore they are accountable to that. Now, the process that we are undertaking, which is a very critical process and which this project feeds into, is the transformation of the water management institutions. The spirit of the act has got uh, at its center equitable access and the establishment of water user associations. It's one such vehicle which has been uh, way too long uh, and it is too late now, but we are in the process of transforming and implementing. The idea of the water user associations will make sure that all of the land within the length and breadth of the water management area is covered. So there is no one that will fall outside the consensus of the water user association, which means within a water user association, you'll have a municipality, you'll have agriculture, you may have mining, you may have um, forestry, you have other uses such as cross-border and strategic use. And when you have a water user association established, it means that all needs are taken care of. What have we done uh, currently? We have uh, tested the water allocation plan principles where we took one of our two sub-catchments, the uh, White River. One minute. Yes, the White River as well as the Cup. And what we realized is that there's still pushback in, the, in terms of how people view sharing water. And therefore, we believe that water, high, hybrid water is going to enable us to support these water users on the ground. I support the view that there needs to be a lot of funding that is put on in this regard particularly looking at infrastructure for boreholes, water tankers, and tanks linked to groundwater, so that there is access of water for the ordinary people that look at us at, as a water management institution to provide both for their agricultural needs, subsistence farming, as well as for emerging farmers. I will pause there. Thanks. Thank you very much for that, uh, Jennifer. Really insightful and, and something that stuck with me. Uh, you know, is people want water and they want it for multiple uses, uh, which is which is something I think that uh, Barbara van Koppen can also speak to in the in the discussion. Uh, really important, and and particularly we're talking about smallholder farmers, um, and and what are these legal tools like water use licenses? permits that either help or hinder their access uh, to water. And there we have it, listener. According to the International Water Management Institute of South Africa, South Africa's highly acclaimed National Water Act of 1998 evidence is imaging that its vision of redressing inequalities from the past is not yet being achieved. This, so the claims say, is due to past power relations in water rights for productive purposes such as agriculture that may have been further consolidated. We heard how water scarcity in the continent becomes one of the environmental challenges that could threaten the agricultural sector as one of the many. Be there next week when we hear 
whether the continent has transformed in the agricultural sector since the beginning of the century. Is there anything to celebrate about? Should you like to comment on this program, do so by commenting through the following. Twitter handle AgroAfrica with a K or email us at oyami06 at gmail.com. We're on DSTV Audio Bouquet 802 to Southern Africa. Thanks to the International Water Management Institute of South Africa for the content of this episode. From me, Sydney Katungapiri, I say goodbye.